So we're past the halfway mark in the NFL calendar, and we've discovered new truths. Every season is completely separate and apart from the season before it and the season that will come after it. That's what's interesting about the soap opera, because what's true in one season isn't necessarily true in another season. And that's never been more true in 2020 with all the chaos that's been added by the COVID-19 pandemic. It's 2020 and Aaron Rodgers is back. Without adding anything on that offense, just throw the ball to Devontae Adams every single play. I don't understand why defenses don't guard Adams at the line of scrimmage like a gunner on punt coverage. The package didn't add anything to that offense, so Rodgers is just feeding Devontae Adams. Tom Brady is back, and he's teaching us that unprecedented players continue to be unprecedented even late into their playing careers. At 43 years old, Brady is playing better than he has the last two or three years in New England. And it turns out, having a supporting cast matters. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Scotty Miller, now you're adding Antonio Brown. That can extend a quarterback's career. Jacoby Myers, Nikhil Harry, and Demir Bird, they can't. They can't extend your career. And the Bucks aren't taking anything for granted because they're bringing in Brown. They're bringing Brown into that locker room. But what can we learn from Nikhil Harry's trajectory from 2019 wide receiver one to colossal bust? And I'm going to bring on a friend of mine later to talk about it, see if we can figure some things out. We've also learned in 2020 that letting Russ cook was a good idea, and we knew that was going to be the case. you got to be unlimited. you know, you got to have a thought process of being unlimited. So when people ask you, you know, what you're thinking about or what you want to do in life or where you want to go, you got to be unlimited. Tell them, I'm unlimited. You know what I mean? So when they ask you certain questions like, Who brings you motivation, Russell? Mr. Unlimited. Y'all made fun of him too. (laughs) Who's laughing now? Because he is Mr. Unlimited. Speaking of the Seahawks, we now know that if you're 6'3", 230 pounds, and you play wide receiver and you run a 4'3", it doesn't matter what your three-cone time is. If you're a generational athlete with a single athletic flaw, you're still a generational athlete. Plot twist, Josh Allen is good. Sam Darnold isn't, at least not with Adam Gase. Speaking of Adam Gase, Ryan Tannehill's good. He's legit. I didn't see that coming. Deontay Johnson is the Steelers' primary target in the passing game. That's if he's healthy. And that's important for this podcast if you look at the Steelers' depth chart. You got James Washington, Oklahoma State, Juju Smith-Schuster, USC, Chase Claypool, Notre Dame. All of these Power 5 schools and little old Deontay Johnson from Toledo is their wide receiver one. Football on Tuesdays is something that should stay after the pandemic is over. I've liked that. Football starting in the late afternoon on a Monday is something that should stay after the pandemic. Let me get to Tom Brady. Let me get back to Tom Brady really quick. He's fourth in the league in passing yards, third in touchdowns, and ninth in quarterback rating. Oh, but he's 41, but he's got a better supporting cast, better than he had at 40 in New England. He's even upgraded in the backfield with Ronald Jones. If you've upgraded at running back by switching to Ronald Jones, then you had a problem wherever you came from. If anything, if anything at all, It has become apparent in 2020 just how diabolical Bill Belichick actually is, how diabolical he really is, because it's apparent that in Bill Belichick's quest for NFL domination, his plan involves sending his assistant coaches to cripple other NFL franchises. We know the names, but it's still worth going over. Eric Mangini in New York. 33 and 47, 41% win percentage. Josh McDaniels in Denver. 11 and 11 and 17, 39%. Bill O'Brien in Houston, 54 and, excuse me, 52 and 48 for a 52% winning percentage. That's actually good. Romeo Cornell in Kansas City. Romeo Cornell in Kansas City, 28 and 57, 32%. And of course, there's Matt Patricia. 
bringing up the rear. And I haven't forgotten about you, Charlie Weiss, at Notre Dame in Kansas, 41-49. and 49. Career record probably includes wins over Northwest Southeast South State College Online University. Bill Belichick's assistants have been me-first coaches. We talk about me-first players. We need to talk about me-first head coaches. And that's the unifying theme specifically between McDaniels, O'Brien, and Patricia. It's about me. It's about my scheme. It's about bringing in former Patriots cast-offs and jettisoning or ostracizing their team's their new team's best players. It was a, a programmatic non-fit. Yeah, that's the unifying theme between Patricia McDaniels and O'Brien. As soon as these guys walked into their respective locker rooms, it had to be about them. It had to be about me. It had to be about me. I was close to greatness, therefore I am great. That's been their logic. That's been the downfall of Patricia. It's the downfall of McDaniels. That's been the downfall of O'Brien. The story is now infamous with Josh McDaniels. He was hired as the head coach of the Broncos in 2009, and his first order of business was to ask. He actually asked for a closed-door meeting with his franchise quarterback and his quarterback's agent. That was Jay Cutler and Bus, Bus Cook at the time. And was it to give them the playbook and get started on the season's preparation? No. Was it to ask him about what he thought worked in Mike Shanahan's offense, his predecessor? No. No. Josh McDaniels calls Bus Cook and Jay Cutler in for a meeting to talk about his resume, how he became Bill Belichick's right-hand man, and how he was so integral to the Patriots' success in 2008 because Tom Brady went down with an injury. It was a chest-thumping meeting. Who does that? After he was done pounding his chest, he cussed Jay Cutler out while telling him how terrible he was. Bus Cook and Jay Cutler got up and left the meeting. This is widely reported. And so he gets rid of Cutler, he gets rid of Brandon Marshall, one of the most underrated receivers of this generation, and who does he replace them with? Tim Tebow and Demarius Thomas. Now you all remember Peyton Manning's Demarius Thomas. I'm I'm talking about Josh McDaniel's Demarius Thomas. I'm talking about Josh McDaniel's Demarius Thomas. I'm talking about 2010 22 receptions for 283 yards Demarius Thomas. I'm talking about 2011 Demarius Thomas, 32 catches for 551 yards. Bill O'Brien, same story. He lets Teron Matthew walk in free agent. And I haven't forgotten about that, Bill. He trades the Jadavian Clowney for a third-round pick. He trades DeAndre Hopkins for David Johnson. And most offensive of all, he ticked off Captain America, J.J. Watt. You don't piss off Captain America. That's a fatal mistake. And, of course, we bring ourselves to Patricia. The Lions have done this before, and history is repeating itself. You bring in Patricia, and Patricia brings in former Patriots because that's going to fix it. We've seen this before. We saw this in 2006. Don't you remember that? The Tampa Bay Buccaneers were coming off the Super Bowl. And who did we bring in? Rod Marinelli. We started bringing in former Tampa Bay Bucks. How did that turn out? And it's Patricia's arrogance. It's his reliance on his scheme that is his fatal flaw. He wants to bring in versatility. He needs players that fit his scheme. He wants versatility on his front seven. So as a result, you have defensive linemen who can't rush the passer and can't stop the run. That's how versatile they are. You have linebackers that can't cover, can't chase anyone down. Patricia becomes head coach, and what does he do? He gets rid of Quandre Diggs and Darius Slay. How's your secondary looking now, Matt? Let's see if your secondary can cover for eight seconds. And have some respect for the franchise, please. It's been a 4-3 team forever, not a 3-4 team. It's like going into Pittsburgh and trying to implement a 4-3 defense. From Indomitian Sue to Corey Williams, Cliff Averill, Kyle Vandenbosch, go back to Robert Porsche and Luther Ellis. This team has always been a 4-3 team. These 275-pound defensive linemen who can't rush and can't stop the run. You don't have Richard Seymour on this roster, Matt. Vince Wilfork isn't here. You've got Trey Flowers. 
and Danny Shelton. So that's what we've learned in 2020 this far. All right, I want to flip the script a little bit. I want to look into the future, um, specifically at the quarterback position. In 1983, we had that quarterback class with John Elway, Todd Blackledge, Jim Kelly, Tony Eason, Ken O'Brien, Dan Marino. And then in 2004, we had Eli Manning and Ben Roethlisberger and Phillip Rivers. And I just think that if you look at the quarterbacks, the young quarterbacks that are in the NFL now, and the quarterbacks that are set to enter the NFL draft between 2021 and 2023, I don't think that there's ever been a deeper, it just seems very deep, at least to me, but I wanted to talk to somebody else about it. So we're going to have our first guest on the Sharp Review, Brandon Lejeune. And so we're going to talk to Brandon about quarterbacks. Here's my discussion with Brandon. Brandon Lejeune joins me on the Sharp Review podcast. Uh, you can find Brandon at Devi Deep Dive. Of course, he hosts the Devi Deep Dive podcast and he has his Devi dashboard, which is an excellent community that I am a part of and I participate in. Brandon, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about quarterbacks, especially after um, uh, DJ Uyagalele's game yesterday. When you're scouting a quarterback, uh, there are a lot of attributes that you can consider arm strength, decision making, athleticism, football IQ, you know, the ability to diagnose defenses. Is there one or two of those traits that you consider to be more important above and above and beyond the others? In other words, when you're watching film and, you, and Brandon, you watch a lot of film, what is it that gets you excited about a quarterback? Well, first, uh, thanks for having me on, Felix. Um, I think probably for me, the two things that are the most important is accuracy and consistent ball placement and, you know, the mental processing and the vision of, you know, how they see the field, how they can you know, go through their progressions. And I think to me, those are the most two important and probably would throw a third in there would be, uh, you know, pocket presence, uh, maneuverability and being able to make plays off script, something that we saw Joe Burrow last year excel at. But first and foremost, I think the accuracy and the consistent ball placement is, is at the top of my list. And that probably coincides with having the proper mechanics. Although I don't think the mechanics have to be elite or exactly perfect. But you need to have the ability to uh, get that ball and lead your receivers and you know put your receivers in a position to make a play. And then really in order to do that, you have to obviously be able to see the field and mental process. So I would think that you know the consistent ball placement, I think, is what the NFL really looks for, uh, whether you've got elite arm strength or you know, decent arm strength. I don't think you'd have to have an elite arm strength to make it in the NFL. But if you can consistently put that ball, you know, for your players to make plays, I think that would probably be the first and foremost thing I look for. You mentioned making plays off script. You mentioned uh, ball placement. Obviously, I'm thinking about um, the player that I'm excited about, Zach Wilson. But I want to talk to to you a little bit about the young quarterbacks in the NFL and, and just this this pipeline of arms that we have coming into the NFL over the next three years. I mean, I really think that we are in the midst of some sort of quarterback renaissance as we turn the page from the Tom Brady and Peyton Manning era to whatever it is that's coming next, which obviously includes Patrick Mahomes. Um, but uh, it just, it see, I can't remember the quarterback pipeline, the young quarterback pipeline being this 
um, this deep ever in my time watching football. And I probably started watching like 1998 is my starting point. The year that Charles Woodson, Peyton Manning and Randy Moss, um, uh, were, were drafted. That's kind of like my starting point. But let, I mean, the young quarterbacks in the NFL now include, uh, Patrick Mahomes, obviously Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Deshaun Watson, Dak Prescott. And then this year's class, we added Tua Tonga Vialoa and Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow. And then in 2021, we're going to add Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and Trey Lance, maybe uh, Kyle Trask, maybe Mac Jones, maybe Zach Wilson in the first round. 2022, Sam Howell, Spencer Rattler, Keaton Slovis, maybe Graham Mertz is a 2022 candidate. And then we got to see the first of our uh, 2020, 20, excuse me, 2023 highly touted prospects in DJ Uyagalele um, uh, uh, playing yesterday in his first action and mounting a comeback victory against Boston College. We haven't seen Bryce Young yet, but he's highly touted. Are we seeing a, a, a quarterback renaissance um, or am I, am I being hyperbolic? Well, I think you, you are. And I think maybe there's two reasons. I think first off, I think offensive coordinators in the NFL want flexibility. They want versatility. A lot of them will run the RPO uh, concepts now. Um, and they want to get more creative with their offensive ability to you know get guys open. And I think more and more they're looking for quarterbacks to play a, a larger role in that. And I think secondly, everyone's getting stronger and faster on the defensive side of the ball. So, you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, quarterback, their, their pockets are breaking down and, and they have to be able to move around. You know, you look at Phillip Rivers, for example, you, you mentioned Tom Brady, Peyton Manning. Those guys were like all kind of statues back there. Now they've been successful, I think, because they've had those elite uh, you know, quick releases, get the ball out and, you know, the vision we talked about previously and that type of thing. So I, I think they can, they, they will continue to be successful if you have those elite skills. But for the most part, I think the offensive coordinators for NFL franchises want flexibility, more flexibility than a standard drop back and pass. So yeah, I think that the college game is really starting to, you know, filter into more of the offensive NFL offensive schemes and who wouldn't want to have the best of both, right? I mean, you want the guy with the big arm who can see the field, ball placement, but then have that guy who can extend plays. And I go back to the Joe Burrow, and I think that's what made him so special last year, his ability to roll out. I mean, look at Trevor Lawrence, the same thing, too. I mean, they were able to roll out and still reset their feet, still have good mechanics, fire the ball downfield, and make plays. Um, you even saw that with Justin Herbert a little bit, you know, that the, him coming out of this year, probably of the three that you mentioned, you know, to a Joe Burrow and Justin, um, you've seen that with him, you know, in the last few weeks. I mean, he's got the ability to move around back there. So, uh, but I, I agree. I, if I'm an offensive coordinator, I want to have a quarterback that can stand back, fire the ball out of the pocket when necessary, but also have them be able to roll out and give wide receivers more time to get open. And it's just more creativity. When you don't know whether your quarterback is going to run, roll out, it just adds more of an advantage, I think, over the defense players. And, you know, I think that – I don't even think I mentioned Trey Lance when I went through that list of names. Take Trevor Lawrence out of it, out of the quarterbacks yep. that are coming in from 2021 through 2023. Is there a, and I know that you're a big Mac Jones fan. Is there a mm-hmm. name that, that you like more than the others, um, out of that cl- incoming class of quarterbacks between 2021 and 2023? Well, I mean, you mentioned one, Kyle Trask. I mean, I think his productivity has 
has been great. Um, yeah, I do like Mac Jones. I mean, he's the guy that probably is counterintuitive to the comment I just made. He's probably not the most uh, off-script playmaker, um, but I think he, again, brings those tangibles of ball accuracy. And, and of course, you, you feel, too, and I have spoken about this before at, at other times, so that he's got a clean pocket. You know, how's he going to react when he doesn't have that Alabama offensive line keeping him nice and warm and cozy back there? Um, but in reality, other guys, um, you know, the Desmond Ritter kid um, is somebody that I think some people, he had a good game. It looked like yesterday. I did not see that game, but his, his stats, um, you know, Jamie Newman, you know, he's a wild card, right? I mean, who the hell knows what's going to go on with him? He opted out. I'm sure he may be having regrets on that. Um, but I, I don't know. Other than that, I, I don't know. I mean, in reality, if you look back at history for the last six, seven, eight years, we're going to get three or four quarterbacks that are going to end up being dynasty NFL assets on our dynasty teams. And I'm not sure this this class is going to produce more than maybe three or four and, and be consistent with past history. Speaking of wild cards, I want to talk to you a little bit about De'Eric King, okay? Um, 5'11", two, 202 pounds, small quarterback, productive at least at first at Houston before he uh, transfers to Miami. He has kind of a tumultuous exit from from Houston. Uh, Dana Holgerson actually <laughs> uh, asked him to take a red shirt in the middle of his senior season after after the Cougars started 1-3. and three. But then he transfers to Miami. And he's kind of been the difference for a foot for this football team that hasn't had a quarterback since what Ken Dorsey. Um, and and the reason I'm asking this question is because you have Drew Brees open the door for Russell Wilson, a smaller quarterback, an accurate quarterback, and you have Wilson open the door for Baker Mayfield. So it's not inconceivable for a quarterback that's uh, 5'10", 5'11", to operate an NFL offense. And you have uh, King, who's a dual, obviously a dual threat, not the passer that, that either Wilson or Baker Mayfield was, but has that door been opened wide enough to consider a player like De'Eric King starting for an NFL franchise? Can he be drafted to play quarterback in the NFL? I think so. I think, you know, I'm not the biggest King fan, but I'm going to say, you know, and I haven't looked and thought about every franchise in the NFL, but I'm going to say 50% of the NFL franchises wish they had a different quarterback. You know, they're, they're dealing, they, they have who they have because, you know, it's, it's hard to believe we can't find 32 elite passers to make the NFL like great, right? With every team excelling. So yeah, Kyle Murray now, uh, in Arizona has opened up the door. And I think you're absolutely right. It is like, Oh, okay. Well, it looks like smaller guys can excel if in fact they have elite, you know, again, probably that vision and playmaking. I mean, Kyle Murray is very special. I mean, he, his ability to move around is exceptional. Um, so again, I, I think he has a shot. I think, you know, King could be a day two, early day three, where, you know, maybe they take a shot with a guy like that, in a franchise maybe, you know, who already has a starter who they're happy with that maybe it's somebody they can take a shot with. But I think absolutely. I think, um, you know, again, that dual threat ability is very enticing to NFL franchises. And I think that if, uh, like I said, after the top two or three in this, this year's class, and then I think the door's wide open for whoever could, uh, you know, emerge. Brandon Lejeune, you can find him on Twitter at Debbie Deep Dive. Listen to the Debbie Deep Dive podcast. DM him about the dashboard community. Brandon, thank you for joining me. Hey, my pleasure, Felix. 
All right, I want to talk a little bit about Nikhil Harry because I think he's an interesting case study. In 2019, he was widely regarded as the top receiver in the class and one of the top receiver prospects in the last several years given his breakout age and his dominator rating and how he performed at the NFL Combine, but he's been bad. He's been terrible, and I can't for the life of me figure out why. And so I wanted to talk to somebody about why. I asked my friend, Chris Moxley, to join me. He's been very critical of Harry uh, er, very early on. So I wanted to talk to him, pick his brain about what we're seeing with Harry. Here's my discussion with Chris. Chris Moxley joins me on the Sharp Review. You can find Chris at Chris Moxley with an E19, Chris Moxley 19 on Twitter. Chris, Nikhil Harry, he's 6'2", 230 pounds. He runs a 4'5", at the combine. He jumps 40 inches, one of the best collegiate receivers of all time, an 18-year-old breakout age, 88th percentile college dominator rating, and through 13 games played, he doesn't even have 300 yards receiving. He has a 59, nearly only a 60, a 60 percent catch rate. And I thought this year he could be Cam Newton's Calvin Benjamin, but he's not even that. I mean, how he's worse than Calvin Benjamin. So naturally, my first question for you is Nikhil Harry, what the hell? That's a good question. And I don't know. You, you're absolutely right. He even beyond college. I mean, he was a, one of the best wide receivers even scouted at the time. I mean, he was a seventh wide receiver according 24 seven. He was a four star prospect. I mean, he had it all. He's always had it all. His college production was phenomenal. He bounced out of the gym at the combine. He had everything. Um, I think the metrics were there. I really do. I think that he was uh, analytic starling, and I think he had every right to be. It's just he didn't put it together, and I'm not sure he will at this point. I mean, can we put – do we know why he's failing? I mean, do you have any inclination as to why this player, who everyone thought was going to succeed – uh, he was for some the number one overall pick in that draft in dynasty drafts over David Montgomery and and Miles Sanders. What? Why is he failing? You know, prior to the draft, there were people who didn't like him very much. Uh, a lot of that came in with separation. He can't separate. Press coverage is, I guess, a question in college in general. Um, a lot of a lot of DBs can't play it very well. So he didn't face a lot of press coverage, and when he did, he struggled. He had a little bit of struggle separating against man coverage. But the big knocks were separation. My thought was, well, if he can come to the NFL and play a big slot or a flanker Z position, I, th- I think he could work, right? Patriots put him outside. He plays 21% in, from the slot his uh, rookie season. He fails miserably. I think he posted a .9 uh, yards per route run, which is abysmal. This year, it's barely one above one. So we're, we're looking at a guy who's struggled in efficiency. He's struggled in separation. He's struggling all over the board and he looks like a different player. College, I thought he was had, you know, a ton of burst. He was great after the catch. He, they were using him in different ways. Comes to the NFL. He's being used in good ways, but he's really struggling. He's, he's not putting up numbers that you need to see. Last year, he was an abysmal contested catch receiver, which he was billed as being one of the best in the class. I think he had a 14% contested catch rate. This year, it's 87.5, so he's improving in that aspect. But, I mean, he looks like a totally different player. He just doesn't have the efficiency. I mean, he's 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 struggling. Um, and I think he's just not efficient. We can chalk some of that up to Cam Newton, but at some point, he had Tom Brady last year, and he came off an injury, so I, I can cut him a little slack, but, man, he struggled a lot last year, and he's 
continuing the same struggles. Is it an issue of landing spot? Um, DK Metcalf for some is the, is the wide receiver one in dynasty. Um, or he, at the very least, he's a top five receiver. If Nikhil Harry is drafted by the Seahawks and DK Metcalf is drafted by the Patriots, are we talking about Nikhil Harry instead? I don't, I don't think so. So ordinarily I would say yes. The coaching staff can't figure him out, but he went from 21% in the slot last year, which is just bad usage. Now he's at 61%. That's a pretty high rate for a guy who pretty much needs to be a big slot to succeed. Um, and he's still just inefficient per route. He's inefficient uh, per target. I think he is being utilized in the way that we need him to utilize, to, to be utilized. Uh, Seattle's doing the same thing with DK Metcalf. DK Metcalf succeeds in certain phases of the game, and they're making it work. I think they're trying to do the same in New England with Harry. I think Josh McDaniels is smart enough to know how to use him. It's just, well, he's he's just not making the most of it. He should be. He should look like Lavisca Chanel. Instead, he looks like. 50% of LaVisca discussion all. And I, I think that we see that in his efficiency metrics, and I think we see it um, with the coaching staff trying to get him going. Now, we've seen some recent career resurgences with Devontae Parker and, DV, uh, and DJ Tar- Chark specifically. Can you see something like that happening for Harry at some point down the line? Maybe. So as someone who's more risk-averse, I don't see it happening, um, and I would be wary to invest in him thinking it might happen. Um, no, insofar, he's still inefficient. He's continuing to face plant. He's not getting separation. Possibly, and I think this is the devil's advocate argument more than me believing this, he's lining up in the slot, which is where he can succeed, more so at least. He has a higher contested catch rate. He's getting utilized correctly i think um but overall i mean guys who face playing year one really don't hit um drew at a dfb encounter on twitter who's a really smart guy kind of turned me on to this idea that if a player face plants year one probably good to get out from under them um 10 of wide receivers who don't increase or maintain value i lose a round of value uh end up hitting for wider one wide receiver two season even when you look at first round wide receivers who do so, it's barely above like 15%. Um, and only three of 27 in the last, uh, 13 years have done it. So Tyler Boyd, uh, Golden Tate, Demarius Thomas, they've all done it more twice or more. So we're looking at an 11% hit rate. Um, and usually, you know, he's a good profile. He kind of matches what those other guys did. He says, okay, I, you know, I, Boyd's profile, Thomas's profile, they all look kind of similar. Great age adjusted production, early breakouts, uh, base plant year one. But Thomas is a good example because I think they play similarly enough. Um, Boyd's very different. Tate's very different. But the difference is, well, what are you getting out from him for, right? If you can get out from him first, I don't think you can anymore. But I think you could in the summer. It was easy. 11% hit rate of those players versus barely above, barely below 50% hit rate on a first-round wide receiver rookie pick. Even a second-rounder, you're kind of looking at the same – idea um that's the concern right players who face plant year one really struggle to bring it back um especially from a wide receiver perspective they just prove they can't play um and you need to maintain value at minimum that feels like a cautionary tear uh tale for brian edwards 
right now. Um, looking forward, is there anything that we can take away from the purposes of our, our process in scouting wide receivers moving forward? Anything that we can learn from Nikhil Harry in our process moving forward? So I think there's two components of it. So prior to the NFL draft, we needed to understand that he needed to be utilized correctly. And I, I think most people understood that he may need, he may struggle get with separation. He may struggle against press coverage. He probably needs to be a big slot. Patriots came out, used him incorrectly. So we had to assume rational coaching, which that's a black box to begin with. We also need to assume that he could make adjustments to the NFL uh, effectively. And there's been rumors in camp that he's really struggling to pick up um, even like basic concepts and not even the Patriot system. He's just like struggling in general. Um, he was skipping drills. It sounded like I don't know enough about to speculate about that to speculate, but it's clear that he's, he's struggling from that perspective. So waiting some, if a player is going, has a good profile, but there's area where the NFL needs to have him out there and needs to utilize him in a certain role. We have to bake that into a player's acquisition. So someone like AJ Brown can play outside and inside. Someone like DK Metcalf had the same, those same concerns. I don't think it was factored in enough with Nikhil Harry where he needed to be used a certain way. The second part of it is what I kind of what I was referencing earlier with when a player plays plans year one, we need to, we need to make decisions quick. Um, and I think a lot of people are afraid of the sunk costs. I spent a one, 101 or 102 on Nikhil Harry. I can't get out for him at a 111 or 201. I, how could, how could I possibly do that? I've already invested so much. Getting beyond the sunk cost and, and saving value is really the way to go. And I think a lot of people need to recognize that it doesn't really matter what you invested in a player. If a player's trajectory is moving downward, it can only get worse. And the idea with Nikhil Harry is, well, maybe he can improve. And maybe he can, maybe, you know, maybe he gets utilized in the slot and maybe there's a nagging injury we don't know about. He missed camp both years. He had an illness. Maybe, you know, we don't know. Um, I think there's potential. I mean, he's getting better at contesting catches. He's a little bit better in efficiency, but making those decisions quickly, I think, is the big takeaway and understanding that we need rational coaching. Oh, we need to we need to bake in that maybe utilization isn't going to happen the way that we think it should. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Moxley is a smart guy. Follow him, follow him on Twitter at ChrisMoxley19. That's Moxley with an E. Chris, thank you for joining me. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I need to know everything. Who in the what and the where I need everything. I want to thank my guests, Brandon Lejeune and Chris Moxley. Apologies to Matt Kelly. We ran out of time. We'll get them rescheduled soon. And that is the sharp review for this, the 10,530th day since the Detroit Lions last celebrated a playoff victory in Los Angeles. I'm Felix Sharp. Good night. Good luck. Hey, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Apologies to Brandon. His audio sounded a little funky, and that's just because I'm learning how to record these interviews. So forgive him. Forgive me. We'll get it better next time. Oh, sheesh. Jim Harbaugh, it's time to go. And it's not because you're a bad head coach. You're not. You're just a little outdated. A defensive-minded head coach that wants to emphasize running the football. It doesn't really work today.
Your head coach is like a walking, talking commercial that advertises for your school and what your school is about. And what Jim Harbaugh is about is not what wins games in college football. Look at Dabo Sweeney. Look at Nick Saban. Both of those schools have been able to recruit some of the best skill position players in the country. And that's what wins. You don't win with defense and defensive line and running the football. Michigan needs to bring in a name that's going to add some credibility to Michigan's offense, to their ability to score points. And I'm talking about Joe Brady. That would be my number one name if I was Michigan's athletic department. I would try to bring in Joe Brady, the offensive coordinator, the former offensive coordinator for the LSU Tigers, the current offensive coordinator for the Carolina Panthers. I need to know everything. I need to know everything. Who and the what and the where I need everything. Like, I was trading Tyreek Hill when he had his Like I traded Antonio Brown when he was at the Raiders. Like I always get out on these guys. And sometimes it works, Antonio Brown. Sometimes it doesn't. Tyreek. Need to know everything. I need to know everything. Who and the what and the where I need everything. About Zach Wilson on the first one that I listened to, and I was like, "Yes." Wait, let me ask. Let me, let me ask you about Wilson before I let you go. Um, he, I mean, he keeps he keeps making these ridiculous throws off script, off platform. Um, you know, ball placement. He he had the one yesterday. It was dropped, but you know, he let it go from the he, he, face pressure in the pocket, steps up, throws it off one foot, running forward. You know, it lands 55 yards in the receiver's hands, and the receiver drops yeah. it. I mean, I, Brandon. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, Brandon, he's he's gonna go in the top fifteen. He's gonna go in the top fifteen. I let him think that they got me. I mean, look at the Darnolds now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Darnold. I mean, I mean, I mean, even Josh Allen, even Josh Allen before this season. I mean, people were saying that he he could potentially be replaced because he wasn't accurate. But yeah, Sean, I mean, mm-hmm. Sam Darnold is is damaged goods. Now. So yeah, I think Zach Wilson, if he continues, he could have that Joe Burrow type rise. And I wouldn't be surprised if he goes before um, Trey Lance. Before, before Lance. Like, yeah. There's a lot of question marks with this kid. Like one good year of production, yeah. you know, and, and like you're going to your franchise in his hand. Yeah. I, I if it happens, if it happens again, it just shows you how I got to read all my trade publications and sit my tea till it is all done. I think it's all fun. I need to know everything. Who in the what in the where I need everything. Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's new. Oh, sheesh.